Passion, freedom, knowledge. The Abstract Japan Podcast at abstractjapan.com. And now, the Boston Bastard Brigade, Electric Sisterhood, and On Mystery proudly present No Points, No Race, The World's J Pop and Alternative Art Squad. and wenches, welcome to episode 302 of No Borders, No Race. I am your king, baby duck, Evan Borgo. Thank you once again for tuning in. And I really hope you all enjoyed our last episode, because I put in a lot of recording time to speak on my experiences in Japan. Of course, even with these very long segments, I had to cut out some parts, especially when it came to the Connie stories. I could tell a tale about each class I taught during those two weeks, as I noticed quite a few interesting things that occurred, and even some funny things as well. But because those stories could take up quite a few episodes, I decided to share just a couple. Maybe someday I will tell other stories. But I did screw up one thing. And that was not talking about another meetup with one of my students. Her name is Kurimoto, and she's actually currently studying abroad in America. And I'm not going to say where, due to, you know, privacy stuff. But myself, Hattori-sensei, and I had a wonderful dinner together just a couple of days before she flew to America. Kurimoto-san is a great student, and I think she'll do very well studying here in America. Anyways, enough about last week's episode. Let's talk about today's show. This week, security guy Greg's not even supposed to be here today. And then, one of the minds behind John Wick takes a train ride through Japan. But first, let's start our playlist. Remember, as always, if you like what you hear and would like to support these artists, you can find their music on CD Japan, Amazon, Yes Asia, Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, the band's official sites, and your local record store. Today, I'm going to start by correcting a wrong. One of the biggest bands in Japan right now, who have a huge following in the U.S. right now, is One OK Rock. I've never played a One OK Rock song before, and they just so happened to unleash a new album called Luxury Disease. And I can't believe I've slept on this band for so long because they're actually pretty damn good. So I'm going to spin something from their new album. From Luxury Disease, here are 1OK Rock with Vandalize. Keep me safe, night. 
Got your pop culture reactions and news over at leaguepodcast.com. The League of Ordinary Gentlemen comic book podcast is more than just comic. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts on social at League Podcast.
From 2003's Penalty Life, that was The Pillows with Moon Mogolette. And for the first time ever, thanks to JPU Records, The Pillows' entire discography is now finally available in the West for all to own. You know, back when I was in college, I imported every one of their albums, and it cost me a lot of money to do so. But it was worth it. Joining me right now is my good buddy from Wicked Anime Podcast, Security Guy Greg. Hola, como esta? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know English. <laughs> Greg and I were very big. Would you consider yourself a big fan of filmmaker Kevin Smith? Uh, absolutely. Especially when it comes to the Clark series. Those are definitely my three favorite movies. Was that your introduction to Kevin Smith? Uh, yes. So my very first movie that I witnessed from him was the first Clark's movie mm-hmm. um, back in, oh my gosh, I want to say high school. That was like, I'm going to date myself right now, yeah. uh, but I want to say it was early 2006. I probably watched Clerks for the first time. Okay. Yeah, for me, it was actually the Clerks cartoon when that aired on ABC for a couple of episodes. Oh, wow. When I was in high school, I was 15 when that aired. Only those two episodes, but it's still two of the funniest episodes of a cartoon I've ever seen. And then I would, of course, watch the other four when I would buy the DVD. And to this date, still one of the funniest cartoons I've ever ever watched. I need to check that out because I didn't even know those cartoons existed, to be honest. Yeah, the first actual Kevin Smith movie I saw in the theaters was Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And mm. apparently I had to have knowledge of the other Kevin Smith movies to understand what was going on. But at the same time, it was still a really funny movie and I really enjoyed myself watching it. Yes, I think uh, I want to say I watched the first one forever ago. So that, that escapes my memory. But I just remember it from the very little things I remember. It was, it was very funny. And I thought it was well put together. You mentioned Clerks as being like your favorite Kevin Smith movie. Is it one, two, or even the new one that we're about to talk about? Which of those three is your favorite Kevin Smith film? It's a toss-up for me. So, obviously, I love the original Clerks because it got me into the movie mm-hmm. and the franchise. Um, Clerks 2, I thought, was okay, but I, I think the scenery change was a little weird for me. And then when I got to Clerks 3, definitely... The plot and the setting kind of sold me on it. Uh, man, that's tough. I'm going to have to say the original Clerks is still my favorite because that's nostalgia. That's what got me into everything. So, yeah. um, And uh, the, the black and white cinematography, even though when I, I first watched the movie at the time, I didn't really like it <laughs> because I thought it was weird and off-putting. But once the explanation was given... Um, and I, I, maybe I don't want to spoil that, but there was somewhere, somehow, within the series, there was an explanation to it. And once that was explained to me, I, I completely agreed, and I thought that, that was a great artistic choice. And I will. So the actual reason is that Kevin Smith shot it in black and white is because it was cheaper to buy black and white film over buying color film. It's funny you say that. Oh, did you? Are we allowed to do spoilers, or what's your deal with spoilers? We are going to split this segment into two parts, so um, so long as we're not talking about the ending yet. Okay, so I'm, I'm talking about 
what happens after the movie ends. And I, I don't even know if you stuck around in theaters to see Oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I did. I watched that whole segment where they were talking about basically the history of Clerks. Right. Okay. So I think it's safe to go into what I wanted to say then. It, it's not talking about the plot. Right. So you said that it's cheaper to that it was cheaper for him to purchase uh, black and white or do it in black and white film, which I believe is part of the reason. But the yeah. other part was supposedly because of the the colors of the inside of the grocery store. They were very monotone and neutral, mm-hmm. and they didn't look appealing on camera for the day. So they shot it in black and white as more, as more of an artistic spin, and it kind of made the movie... Um, I want to say it's its own entity. Like for for me, like a black and white movie from that time period stood out because a yeah. lot of movies in the '90s were like in color. And it's like, yeah, oh, this it was is a black the era of which you started seeing a lot more color in movies, like more detailed color. Like look at a movie like The Fifth Element, or even look at something like a film from that era to Days and Confused. How colorful those movies are! Right, absolutely. So seeing something like this was just like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like it's it's different. So for me, like Clerks, the original is is still one of the best films I've ever seen. It's still mm-hmm. a film that uh, that I find relating a lot to with the characters and such. But for my actual, honest to god favorite Kevin Smith movie, and I feel like that this was a film where I saw him mature more as a storyteller. Um. I gotta go with Dogma. Oh, I loved Dogma. I have been looking on every streaming service I can get my hands on for Dogma, and I can't find it. Um, it's very hard that- to find because of Weinstein, because he's made it impossible to to watch these days. I didn't think it was him. I thought it was because of the studio that originally released the movie. Like there was some legal complications to Dogma, so they had to pull it. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I what it was was um, Miramax was originally supposed to release it, and then they said you can't release this movie. And Lionsgate, who is distributing Clerks Three, said mm-hmm. you know what, we'll release this movie for you, and they took it off their hands. Okay, so maybe afterwards you can tell me where I can find Dogma and <laughs> I can watch it again because I've been itching to watch that movie again. Yes, but. Right now, we are actually talking about the third and final Clerks movie, Clerks 3, which actually takes... So, it takes a little bit of influence from what happened with director Kevin Smith, where he had a heart attack and almost died. And in this instance, it's the character of Randall who has a heart attack, realizing that, what have I been doing my entire life? And then Dante feeds him with the idea of, well, you've watched so many movies in your life. You, I've always pictured you'd make a great movie. And there, Randall starts to come up with the idea to make a movie about his life. Yeah. One of the other things about that premise is the fact that this was originally going to be the plot of the animated film that they were going to do, Clerks Sellout, which was going to be a continuation of the Clerks cartoon. Oh, Okay. Yeah, but of course, with that one being cartoon, it's going to be a little bit more wackier and crazier and such, since it was going to be called Clark's Sellout. I think that makes sense now that you point it out, because from some of the background information I got on Clark's 3, it didn't even seem like there was going to be like a Clark's 2 or a Clark's 3, so I, I imagine Kevin Smith would want 
to try to wrap up the story in some way um, if you couldn't get it done in a live action movie. Yeah. Now, what were your thoughts on the tone of the film overall? So I thought it was split in two ways. Um, part one was more slapstick comedy, which I thought almost tried too hard. And I wasn't actually a fan of the first part of the movie. That's where it lacked for me. I actually kind of agree with you on that. I, I especially feel like they were kind of forcing some of the humor of like the uh, the character of Ilias shunning his Christianity and becoming a Satanist. Like I felt like that was a little bit too forced. Right. I definitely with that. And then I think when they were going for modern day. Um, memes and jokes like and and language um they they forced it like way too hard um when they were saying certain terms um but once they got to a certain part of the movie and it became more of a drama in my eyes that's where i thought the movie really skyrocketed and, and came back from the brink of just oh no a crappy like ending and then i uh, there was one scene in particular i remember where as soon as that scene happened and then the rest of the movie followed i that was the turning point for the movie and i said this movie's absolutely amazing like it saved itself i am if you're talking about the scene that i'm that involves dante going to the cemetery is that the scene you're talking about Oh, no, I'm actually thinking later in the movie, although I did enjoy that scene. Yeah. Because yes. that's that. Because so, again, we're going to be going into spoiler territory for you listeners. Um, so, so the character of Becky, who uh, Dante marries in Clerks 2, uh, played by Rosario Dawson, she actually dies in a, in a car accident along with her unborn child. So like, there's a lot of grieving that Dante is going through during, because of the whole situation. Right, and I actually wanted to ask you a question about that because from what I remember, at the end of Clerks 2, they weren't married at the end, were they? It's been a while since I've seen that movie. So at the end, you see him give her the ring. Oh, that's right. Okay, they got engaged. Yes. Okay. But you don't see the marriage or any of that. No, okay. no, you don't see the marriage or anything like that. You see her having the baby bump or anything like that. And I felt like like the, the, the decision to kill her off, like in between Clerks 2 and 3, like at first, I didn't know what to really think of that. I, I initially didn't think that was a really good idea. But then as the story progressed, you start to understand why Kevin Smith went with this route. Right. And at first I didn't agree with that either. When you see her first passing, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, wow, you know, they had this really nice character in in two and then she just gets killed off and doesn't even have anything to say in the third movie. Yeah. And then as she starts, are we allowed to go into spoilers by the way? Yes. Like I said, we are, we are very much allowed to go into spoilers. Okay, I just want to triple check for the listeners here. Yes. Um, <laughs> but as she, as Dante starts to talk to her and confront her, it's nice that she got some appropriate screen time and that she still had a vital role to play within the story. Exactly. Um, Rosario Dawson is actually one of my all-time favorite actresses, so um, to see that she still played a role in this, uh, even with the character's passing, it made me very happy seeing that. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with you on that one. And I felt like after that scene, that's when that's when like the soul of Clark started coming to 
coming back, basically. Because then you start seeing, like, the characters, like, the actor tryouts, and you have all these great cameos from, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ben Affleck and Fred Armisen, and then just having them try to act as Dante and Randall in these scenes. Yeah, that was, that that little bit of comedy, I I felt mixed on that scene as well, right? Okay. Some of it I felt with some of the actors they tried to put in was a little forced. Like, I, I get that they were trying to get cameos and, like, make little jokes. I, I don't know. I feel like it... I don't even know how to describe how I felt. Besides that, it was just kind of, like, forced. I know maybe I sound like a broken record, but... Mm-hmm. They almost tried to jam too much into one little scene there. Yeah. But some of those actors that came in, I thought, were... They were very funny, and they, I got a good laugh or two out of it. Yeah. So I can't say it was a complete downer. Right. But then they move on to the fact of, okay... These characters are based on ourselves. We should just play ourselves. And I felt that there was a lot of great humor as these people, all the original characters from the first Clerks movie, are coming back and playing themselves, but like almost 30 years later. Oh, yeah. I, I think there was one... I think the one character I was surprised to see come back, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, uh, but Veronica, when yes. she came back, I was like, whoa... You know, like, that that's a blast from the past. That was a big surprise, but I thought it was really fun. It was very funny, very poignant, and very sweet how, like, like okay, she's first mad at both Dante and Randall for the screenplay, but then you see Veronica kind of helping Dante out with his current uh, grieving situation. Yeah, which I thought, which I understood, like, she's being humble and she's being sweet, but at the same time... It, it seems like they fell out pretty badly. And then when all of a sudden he starts to, you know, break down, a part of me was kind of like, you know, I thought she hated him after what he did. And, and for her to just turn so quickly, it almost threw me off a little bit. Like, I'm expecting her to still be like, kind of just vicious in a way towards him like I I don't know well that's why I felt more for the character of Emma who was originally supposed to marry Dante in Clerks 2 the one he calls on the on the phone right right so I feel like if they get if we had two women who were completely angry and pissed off at him I feel like that might have been pushing a little bit of a boundary there maybe but I mean from what Kevin Smith developed for Dante I mean, it seems like it wasn't not it, it. It was not not. I can't even get my words out. It was not not warranted for even if like two female women were mad at him because yeah. you know that would have been like realistic in real life too if something like yeah, that basically because that is kind of a '90s movie trope where you have a guy who basically tries to please one woman but can't please another woman, and then both women start to start like you know start hating that guy's guts. Right, right. One of the things that I did like about the film was how it was making fun of uh, Jane Silent Bob attempting to act out the characters that are basically already themselves. But you have Jason Mewes trying to be like a thespian, which really got a big laugh out of me. I liked it when Silent Bob, and huge spoiler right here for people who you know, don't like huge spoilers, mm-hmm. right? He actually speaks 
in the movie, and I was blown away when they had his character actually speak out. Well, it, you know, he has spoken in all the other movies, but this is a moment where you hear him talk a lot more here than in anything else that he's ever done, with probably the exception of Chasing Amy. Because in Chasing Amy, it's Silent Bob that tells that story to Ben Affleck, and Jay's kind of there being the silent one. Right, right. I mean, so to, to tie that into the last point, because I know you said with Jay being a more of a thespian, um, I, I, I guess maybe he did speak a lot for this one, but I just, I have, that's like more warranted for me. Like, um, so that was kind of like out of the normalcy for him. Um, and that, that's why I wanted to bring that up. I don't know if that point went anywhere. I was just disappointed. <laughs> okay. I was very surprised. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to take a break right here, and then when we come back, for spoiler's sake, we're going to talk about the ending of Clerks 3. Rina Sawayama is back with not just an amazing new album, but a reminder of why 2022 is the year pop is getting its soul back. The album is called Hold the Girl, and it's one of this year's best records. Here's Rina Sawayama with Catch Me in the Air.
presenting a bold new adventure into Lovecraftian horror and black comedy. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's acclaimed second series, The Terrible Secret of Lot X. So, to the woman in green. Estelle Thorpe has made a precarious purchase. Get anything good? Contents of automobile trunk, back seat, and glove box unsorted. Mmm, riveting. But this auction win is more than it seems. A deranged man tried to outbid me. He confronted me afterwards. That box you bought? Burn it if you know what's good for you. He who is not to be named killed those boys and it's my fault. Just like he's gonna kill you. To solve the paranormal mystery she's uncovered, Estelle assembles an unlikely crew of curiosity seekers. Moses Cubbenfield, a renowned mountain man author. Estelle, ma'am, I, I, I promise that if you are trying to win me over, the odds are good, but the goods are Cherry Featherbottom, a flapper who's more than she seems. I'm gonna just be upstairs cleaning my gun. <laughs> Who are you, my dad? <laughs> Oswald Sinclair, Hobo King. That's not jam. That is definitely the opposite of jam. That is people jam. Anjana Ramakrishnan, Estelle's partner in a cult adventure. You summoned a demon and you don't remember it, darling. No firearms. Not right now. And Kenneth Rogers, a notorious gambler. I can play cards any old day, but chicken lunch at Thorpe Manor? Mm-mm. That sounds like a mighty fine time, I tell you what. Together, they encounter monsters above and below, and an unholy conspiracy that threatens to shred their sanity to tatters. This is startling and strange, but darling, we might be onto something here. This is why we came to Arkham, after all. Not for murderous grave robbers and disappearing children. The Necronomicon. Whatever your intent with this book, I caution you and say with all certainty, you will find more danger than answers. You brought me back. You, you all brought me back. Brought you back from what? This is not our world. This is not our world at all. When the dance is done and his infernal song rings loudest, there will be no lewd carnality denied to us. You leap onto this thing's back and bury your hatchet in its neck. He howls. I will eat you. Dear Lord, what happened to you? It's t- take too long to explain. We gotta get to uh, get to the hospital. I'll tell you what right now, we, we can't go to the police with this. Yeah, I suspect you're right. They'll put us in the sanitarium. I the air gives way to the crushing depths. You're drowning. You're drowning in a sea of yellow. In this program, our cast actually lives the terror. It's an improvised audio drama that uses Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and the wits of our players to weave these uncanny tales. This is a cinematic radio play where anything can happen, and these poor souls never know what's going to crawl out of the darkness. Discover the terrible secret of Lot X, the entire second series now available on your favorite podcast player. Just search for The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program or unlock all our secrets at CthulhuMystery.com. Kimmy got tied up to me, what you 
The Goju Kaitans with Onagai Radio coming off of their Rock and Roll Love Letter EP. And if you're lucky enough to see them on tour in Japan, the band will have with them an exclusive live album you can only buy at their merch table. Reminds me of what the late, great Mark Lanigan used to do at his gigs. And we're back with security guy Greg talking about Clerks 3. Now, it's hard not to talk about this film without talking about its ending. Because... It's something that kind of does come out of left field. Uh, yeah, tell, you're telling me about it, dude. I wasn't expecting this ending whatsoever. Me neither. So, for those who don't know, again, spoilers, if you don't want to hear this, please skip on over to the playlist part of the show. So, Dante then gets himself a heart attack after he lashes out at Randall who deserved to be lashed out, by the way. And after Randall shows Dante the final cut of his movie, Dante dies. Yeah, that that was... Wow, I, I was like... So, this is what I wanted to kind of mention in the last segment, but I guess it works perfectly here. We In the last segment, we started by talking about, like, how what was a good, like, turning point in the movie for us. And I mentioned there was this one scene, the the scene where basically Dante gets his heart attack and they have that fight. That's where the the, the movie turned for me. And seeing Brian O'Halloran act like that, and and uh, Randall or I'm sorry, what what's that actor's name? Is it Jay? No, Jeff um, Anderson. Jeff Anderson. Thank you. Yeah. Seeing Brian and Jeff act the way they did in that scene. And just seeing um, Dante like keel over, and then seeing that sequence of events afterwards—that that was just I thought was some of the best acting I've seen all year. Like it was just absolutely incredible. You know, like Brian O'Halloran tends to stay away from doing movies. He actually s- prefers to do like local or like state theater in New Jersey. But like watching him perform in this performance as Dante. Be it like that moment with him in uh, Randall or talking to Becky at the cemetery, like really shows just the level of chops that this guy has as an actor. He's very, very underappreciated. I think honestly, Brian could do major motion pictures um, af- after he did those drama scenes. I almost think he's a better drama actor than he is a comedic actor. And I do kind of agree with you on that as well, too. Um, just the whole aspect of the character Dante, who we've been following for these three films, for him to actually you know die in the die in this series, um, it's it's shocking. But yet, as we as I've said to you, like it's the ending that Dante would have preferred. Because if you think back to the first Clerks movie, which did you prefer? Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi? Dante says, Empire. And I have the quote right here. Empire had the bender ending. I mean, Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his father, Han gets frozen and taken away by both of the It ends on such a down note. I mean, that's what life is. A series of down endings. Right. And... For Dante the Die at the end of Clerks 3 fits with Dante's attitude with how a movie should properly end. You know, now that you mention that, um, 
That makes so much more sense because all I thought in the moment when I was watching it and he dies was pure anger at how the hell could they kill off Dante? Like he's the main character and he's, you know, what everyone has come to see. But it just shows you the brilliance of the movie and how it relates so closely to real life that people can actually grasp it and come to terms with it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like you, you never expect death. You you can't expect death to happen when you want death to happen. Death just happens, and sometimes it occurs when you least want it to happen. But there's no way of controlling it. Yeah, and that's that's the scariest part. Um, and for Kevin to have his character Dante kind of have that breakthrough right before he dies. Um, in his little vision there, yeah, with his with, with his wife, it just goes to show how much trust and he has in his franchise to keep going on without Dante, and it, it kind of shows that like you know Dante is not everything to the franchise that you know these characters can can move on and still have a great movie w- without him and. I know that, like, not a lot of movie, I believe, continues after he dies, but with all the subsequent events after his death, the movie was still brilliantly done. Right. I feel like you can't really continue the story without Dante there, so I I know for a fact that this is, like, the last Clerks movie. We don't... Kevin Smith has spoken about maybe revitalizing the animated series, but as films go... I f- this you this is the way that that the story ends. It's not a perfect ending. It's not an ending that's going to make people happy, but to some it's a satisfying conclusion to a series that has been incredibly relatable from start to finish. Right. I I would agree. I, I mean, it just shows um what real life is like to most people and um you know i'm surprised the film isn't bigger than it or the film series i should say is not bigger than it actually is that it's still kind of more of an indie film like i know lionsgate helped produce the film but i feel like it's not as much in the mainstream media as it should be because it's just so relatable right i mean that's that's independent films for you. I mean, it has its cult following. Millions of people love the first Clerks movie. People have thoughts about the second one. I personally enjoyed it. And I'm certain that they're going to have serious thoughts about the third one as well. Especially with how it ends. Right. But, you know, its influence does seep through modern day pop culture. The biggest like films ever will take cues from like Clerks or any other indie film, like case in point, uh, when you watch the movie Captain Marvel and you see the Stan Lee cameo there, what's he doing? He's reading the screenplay for the Kevin Smith movie Mallrats. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like there's little things that, that this that this film series has inspired and has been put into other really big movies. Be it Clerks or Mallrats or Chasing Amy, any Kevin Smith film. Mm. On a scale of one to five, how would you rate Clerks three? Five being the best, I assume. Yes, I would say I want to give it 
I I don't want to give it any lower than a four. I don't. For me, I don't think it deserves a five because there were some things I just wasn't happy with. But no, I, I'm the same way. I'm the same way feeling in that regards because it does take a while for the movie to actually get going. Right, and as I mentioned before, once it gets to that fight between Randall and Dante, I think it skyrockets upward. But I think a four out of five for me is a solid score. You know what? I will give it that as well too. Four out of five. I'll say that the first Clerks movie is an absolute 5 out of 5. Clerks 2 is kind of between a 3 and a 4. But the way that they wrap things up here in the third Clerks movie, it makes it it's a it makes it a very satisfying trilogy. Is it the greatest trilogy of all time? No, there 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 are plenty of other trilogies that have done way better. But for an independent film series to be able to tell its whole story over a period of almost 30 years it, it's, it's kind of amazing to see something like that actually occur I agree it, it's just it's just and what's amazing is because it occurred over 30 years in real time people that you know I was a teenager when I saw the first clerks you know, now I'm in my early 30s and it's like I got to grow up with this franchise and see it like step by step. So I got to grow up with this and um, and it's incredible how as a teenager when I saw the first movie, you can relate super close to what you're going through. And in the second movie when they, you know, work at fast food, that was like my second or third job. Um, so I could relate to that then because I was in high school in 2006 when it came out. So I could, it's almost like at every point in my life, maybe except the first movie, because technically I was a child when it originally came out. But right, yeah, I was I, eight years. I was no, I was nine years old when the first Clerks movie came out, and I wasn't. It wasn't until I was sixteen when I saw the actual Clerks movie. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but I think for a lot of people, that it, it, it's almost like because it walked hand in hand with the moviegoers life and their stages of life meaning like if if it, the first one came out in 1996 or 1994 so you know a lot of people were teenagers then and then you know they're a little older and they have you know maybe that manager job at a fast food restaurant then and then you know I, I, just, I the point I'm trying to make is it walks hand in hand with different people at different points in their life. And it's kind of funny how it just, it timed like everyone, a lot of people for a lot of people it timed everyone's point in life perfectly type of thing. Hopefully that makes sense. I know I kind of couldn't get the point completely across street. No, 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 that does make sense. But I don't feel like a lot of other trilogies do that. And you know, most trilogies don't take, you know, 20 or 30 years to do either, but I, I thought the timing kind of worked out and it was, it was well done. It was very sentimental and it was just a, a great ending overall. You said the perfect word. It's a sentimental movie because it's it, literally like the end of these iconic characters that we've grown to love over these decades. And you kind of get sentimental over the fact that, there's not going to be any more big screen adaptation or big screen stories with these two guys. Right. And that, that's probably the most depressing thing is because for me, 
Clerks 3 was the only movie I got to see in theaters. You know, I was too young for Clerks when it first came out. And then Clerks 2, you know, I didn't see till, um, you know, way after it left theaters. So it kind of bums me out. I don't get to see any more adaptations in theaters. But then again, as long as the story is complete, then I guess I can live with that and I can be happy that I got to see the series and I'm happy I'm a fan because a lot of independent movie films I feel like I'm not a fan of. I just don't, I think they're eh. But with Clerks, I thought it was just a masterpiece. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain that we could have a full discussion on overrated independent movies that I think you we would have some agreements on and then disagreements on, but maybe we could save that for another time. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So, security guy, great. Thank you for coming on to No Borders, No Race. Um, for my listeners, can they follow you anywhere? Are you on Twitter, on Instagram? Uh, to be honest, I'm more or less off of social media. Um, however, I believe, uh, and for, forgive me, John and Andrew from Wicked Anime, but you can definitely follow uh, Wicked Anime's Facebook page. I believe uh, you could follow... My friend Andrew, if you want, uh, mm-hmm. at AFLM on Facebook. AFLM Art, um, yep. AFLM Art, and I want to say he has an Instagram too. I'm just horrible at the social media handles today, but <laughs> it's I'd okay. rather promote somebody than nobody. That's <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm sure he will appreciate you doing all these plugs for him. Shameless plugs. <laughs> Shameless plugs. But Greg, thank you once again, and um, I'll definitely have to have you back on the show sometime soon. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here, and, uh, you know, we'll definitely want to do that again soon. Here's a band I didn't even know were still together. Orange Range. They have unleashed a new double LP called Double Circle, and from that release is Typhoon. ネタやモスクやってくる風が荒れくる下がってゆく引くとパスカル絶望的な香水を送信路ずっとりあえず空想面チャンプル台風対策万全エアコン換気扇ポコポコなる台風対策万全高層マンションチョイユレル台風対策
バレるジョークもう勘弁してくれ無理無理無理無理と受けて教訓自然のサイクル偉大なる台風を No need for clickbait, paywalls, or shilling around. At Scarlet Rhapsody, we are an independent web zone covering conventions across the country. Scarlet Rhapsody breaks it down for you the guests, the dealers, the culture, the cosplay, the trending fandoms, and what makes a convention worth the price of admission. Are you convention cultured? You will be. Visit us on the web at scarlet rhapsody.com, Facebook at Scarlet Rhapsody Media, Twitter at Cons and Churros. YouTube at Scarlet Rhapsody Convention Cultured. And remember, the con is what you make of it, so make it a good one. See you at the con. With Holy Joe, that comes off of their latest album, Aqua Planning, which hits stores on October 7th. If you're in the London area, you can catch Vernon's Future in Camden on October 22nd at Fiddler's Elbow. Once again, we can finally serve you some local flavors in the form of our Bean Town Sampler. 
Today's Bean Tense sampler actually comes from a mutual friend of Elite Four Derek and I. In fact, he was once the guitarist in Derek's college band Rainbow Terrace. But he vanished, and neither Derek nor I had any idea where he disappeared. Well, a couple of months ago, he reached out to me on Instagram, and we caught up on all sorts of things and on how we were all doing. And it turns out, he's got a new band called AP Ray, who aim to do all sorts of sounds from 1920s gangster country to... Let me see if I'm reading this right. Acoustic robot rockets from the far-off era of the 2230s. Yeah, that definitely sounds like our good friend Brandon. AP Ray just released their self-titled debut EP, and from that release is Window. I looked out community focused on diversity, inclusion, representation, conversation, and fun on Twitch. Want to be fam? For chill community vibes, Wednesday nights at 7, join BC Row for the Wednesday Wind Down. 
Friday nights, join us for Let's Plays, where we explore narrative and single-player campaign games. Stop by on Fridays at 7. Catch our flagship podcast, The Tribunal, live every other Sunday at 3 p.m., where we talk about issues that are important to us as Black women. Issues like representation, inclusion, diversity, and more within the video games and entertainment industries. Check our channel and social handles to find out when a new tribunal is going to drop. We've got even more content on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter handles, and our website, blackandpat.com. So join in the conversation in whatever way you like at Black and Pat. Remember, always and never or. All times are Eastern. Japanese song to hit number one on the American charts. That was the icon Q Sakamoto with Ue o Muite Aruko. Of course, for reasons that were obviously racist and stupid, the song was renamed in the States as Sukiyaki. 
even though there is nothing in the song about sukiyaki. So I'm here to correct an error from yesteryear's past. It's called Ueo Muete Aruko, not Sukiyaki. And the reason why I am playing it today is because of the second film I'll be talking about today, Bullet Train. Bullet Train comes from one of the best action directors currently in Hollywood, David Leitch. To remind you of how stellar his work is, go and watch John Wick, Atomic Blonde, and Deadpool 2. Based on a novel by Kotaro Isaka, Bullet Train focuses on a very important briefcase, one belonging to a Russian-born Yakuza boss known as White Death. He also has a son that needs to be returned, but he's not as important to White Death as what's in the briefcase. Brad Pitt plays Ladybug, a mercenary hired to steal the briefcase from Assassin's Lemon and Tangerine, played respectfully by Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Ladybug has what we call shit luck, as what should be a simple task as stealing a briefcase becomes more and more complicated as the bullet train ride goes. From dealing with the likes of Lemon and Tangerine to run-ins with various assassins, Ladybug cannot find a way off of this train without having to unintentionally end some lives. And when that bad luck hits its peak, a lot of blood is gonna spill. Unlike John Wick and Atomic Blonde, Bullet Train puts a lot more emphasis on the comedic aspect of the action comedy. The dialogue that's spout from everyone is very smart and articulate, especially when one hears Lemon comparing life with characters from Thomas the Tank Engine. It's got a very strong Pulp Fiction vibe when you hear these characters talk, where it feels down-to-earth yet eccentric in its tone. But it's when the action hits when you see how well the comedy meshes with the violence. While nothing reaches the same level of choreographed insanity as either John Wick or Atomic Blonde, what is on display is still impressive. The fights, be it with fists or weapons, aren't afraid to go full-blown gory. Heads are blown off, body parts are chopped off, and even eye sockets start crying blood when a character's hit with poison. Yet when these moments occur, I couldn't help but be both impressed and amused, and a lot of that has to do with Brad Pitt's mentality throughout the film. It's clear that Ladybug's trying to turn a new leaf as he tries to get out of every fight peacefully. But of course, these assassins don't want to talk with their mouths. They want to talk with violence. So seeing Ladybug doing everything he can to evade causing harm to his enemies, only for him to accidentally kill some of these assassins, is both really funny and really clever. And even announcing that Ladybug kills here in this review isn't spoiling the moments. It's also seeing who shows up in the film that adds to the hilarity of everything. You hear Ladybug talking to a woman on the phone throughout Bully Train, and then you're in complete shock over who it is. You hear about another assassin named Carver mentioned by Ladybug, and again, it's surprising to see who plays them. The reveal of White Death was also a great surprise, as it's played by someone that I really wasn't expecting to be in such a role. Every aspect of Bullet Train surprised me, but not in a way that makes re-watching it difficult. 
Instead, the surprises are nice add-ons to a movie that not only delivers some fantastic action, but also a narrative that leaves no loose ends to be found. And seeing that it's a David Lynch movie, I'm wondering if there'll be a way to bring any of these characters to the worlds of John Wick, Atomic Blonde, and even Nobody, which Lynch produced. But even if the story doesn't continue, and it's a one-and-done narrative, it doesn't take away from the fact that Bullet Train was one of the best action comedies I've seen in years. Shooting lightning bolts from his fingertips and spouting old-school rock mentalities, Dimitri Wilde is itching to dust off a classic sound and pump it loud for all. On October 14th, Dimitri unleashes his next album, Electric Souls, and from that release is Summer of 21.
It's the Mike Rogers Show coming to you live from Tokyo, Japan, a year-end special, and I'll be with my good friend, Evan Borgold, and you can tune into the Mike Rogers Show. We play Japanese music, Japanese pop, Japanese, uh, uh, and you can win a bazillion dollars on this show. I don't know how you can, but maybe, you know, if you listen to the show, maybe you can somehow. Maybe you buy a raffle ticket or something. The Mike Rogers Show. Yes! Tune in! We're going to have our year-end top five countdown. It's going to be way cool. And you can hear more good songs just like this.
かけるけ続けてこの今をもう二度と戻らない何もかもが変わってゆく Oh yeah それでもまたこの街で僕は歌い続けてる下北沢の片隅で僕は歌い続けてる今も歌い続けてるイエーイそして今皆さん今週の日本語予約の時間ですさあ行こうぜ<音楽>クラックス3は関連性のある映画三部作の必須な結末です。ダンテとランドがコンビニで働くことを題材にした映画を制作するトイレストーリーはストーリー全体を一周させます。面白い瞬間もありますが、ここで驚くほど輝いているのは悲劇的な部分です一部のファンは結末が気に入らないかもしれませんがそれでもクラックス3はダンテ自身が認める結論を出していますボレットトレインはここ数年で最高のアクションコマデですブラッド・ピットはレディバグとして良きです。残りのカストも同様に面白いです。驚きに満ちたボレット・トレインは何度見ても飽きないスペクタキュラをお届けします。My thanks again to Mikio Hattori Sensei of the Cultural Exchange Initiative for helping to translate this part for me. Remember, if you'd like to know more information on the CEI, please be sure to visit their website at ceinitiative.org. You can also follow CE Initiative on Instagram and Facebook. And also, don't forget that Japanese classes are currently in session at Showa Boston. So, if you'd like more information on those classes, be sure to go on their website at showaboston.org. Asaka has returned to the realm of laid back camp with a new song called Sun is Coming Up. But today, We're gonna play a B side from that single, which she calls Easy Life, Easy Curry.
from issuesprogram.com and fill the issues guy on YouTube. Do you like television? Do you like talking about television? Do you have problems and can't sleep at night? If you any of those things are true, come on down and join Fill the Issues Guy on YouTube. Phil's recap and review or check out issuesprogram.com to check out our stuff. Basically what we do is we talk a lot about television, some movies, but mainly television. We do post-episode recaps, live viewings, drunk commentary games, and just general analysis. So if you love television, you don't have a ton of people to talk about television, or you just cannot get enough of some of these awesome shows like Vikings, Better Call Saul, Westworld, Game of Thrones, even The Walking Dead, and some other random shows that just pop up here and there. If you cannot get enough of all those programs and you want to talk about them, jump on over. Join in the live motherfucking chat with some of the best people in the world that all share their thoughts real time whenever we go live. So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you follow the YouTube channel by clicking that little bell thing, you can find out anytime we go live. You can also check out issuesprogram.com for a backload of all of our stuff and check out our podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and lots of other places. Huge thanks to all of you and hope you check it out and hope you enjoy it. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Now is the man Oh, an angry, bitter man Who seldom spoke Now speaks of the day he can Says he'll never come ashore again The likes of you and me But he's somewhere between the heavens and the deep blue sea Now is the boy Oh, a happy, cheerful boy Why should he care 
somewhere between the heavens and the deep blue sea Now is the girl That was Flogging Molly with Now Is The Time. They just unleashed their latest album, Anthem, and just concluded their most recent U.S. tour. But knowing them, they'll be back on stage by the springtime. I mean, you can't celebrate St. Patrick's Day without Flogging Molly, after all. Well, that about wraps up this week's episode of No Borders, No Race. Remember, for the recent news, reviews, podcast episodes, and videos from the Boston Basher Brigade, you can find us at www.b3crew.com. If you have any questions, comments, or if you're in a band and want to be featured on our show, you can write to us at thebastards at bostonbastardbrigade.com, like us on facebook.com slash bostonbastardbrigade, and follow us on b3crew.tumblr.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, the J-Pop Video Games Anime Amino pages, Instagram, and Twitch at KingBabyDuckESH. Don't forget to give some love to our friends at Black Compat, which you can find at BlackCompat.com, Twitch.tv slash BlackCompat, and YouTube.com slash BlackCompat. Promotional consideration provided for this week's tracks from Vernon's Future and Dimitri Wild, made possible by Shameless Promotion PR, and a very special thank you to Black Market Karma for their contribution to the 100th Shameless Tuesdays. Honestly, can't believe we've done 100 of those. Special thanks to security guy Greg for coming on the show. It's actually the first time he's been on the show without any of the other Wicked Anime guys, so it was very nice to have some good one-on-one time with him. We're ending today's episode with a band I haven't heard anything new from in 15 years. Elgarden! 
They went on hiatus in 2008, returned in 2018, but their bigger plans were put on hold due to COVID. But now, they've returned with a new song, which kicks so much ass. Here are El Garden with Mountaintop. And until next time, this is your King Baby Duck reminding you that you don't have to be from Boston to be a bastard, but it sure helps.
guys, this is your King Baby Duck, Evan Borgo, from the Electric Sisterhood, and your host for the No Borders, No Race podcast. Each episode, we play the best, brightest, and hottest acts from Japan, America, Europe, and the rest of the world. Every song spun is but a mere taste of what you can expect of the artists heard, so if you truly loved what hit your eardrums, please be sure to support these musicians and buy their albums, EPs, and singles. Places like Amazon.com, CD Japan, Yes Asia, Bandcamp, iTunes, and even your local record store are great places to plop down some sweet moolah to let those artists know that they're doing a heck of a good job with their melodies. The more an artist gets support from listeners, the better the chance that they'll come to a venue nearest you to play the sounds that won your heart. This message is brought to you by the Boston Bash Brigade, reminding you all to support your local, national, and international artists any way you can.